the, the music's going to stop playing here in a little bit. There's going to be time when the preacher's going to stop. We're going to close the service. But he don't stop. It, you and I may stop working. Sister, you, you, you're going to clock out pretty soon. You clock in and clock out. At, down, down at work, we talk. But he don't stop. When, when you stop, he, he's still working. He's working all things on your behalf. Hear me now this afternoon. Will you work on his behalf? We're going to get into the scripture. I do believe I have a word for you um, this afternoon. And I believe that many of you are in a period of warfare right now. And it's only escalating. It's only escalating. We're in war physically, but even more so spiritually. Every war in the physical, there's a spiritual war that's behind it. You have to understand that. It's only being made manifested in the physical, but there's more that's going on in the spiritual. So I, I want to turn your attention here this, this afternoon. Taking a look at First Samuel, the book of First Samuel chapter 17. Verse 38 through 42. Again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38 through 42. It says, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bare in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth ruddy and handsome in appearance. Notice what got Goliath ticked off. What got him agitated, what got him frustrated, what got him mad was the fact that a child had showed up to battle. He didn't value anything of what a child could bring to the table. A boy, a youth. He didn't see this child as a threat. Matthew 18, verse 2 through 3, it says this. This is what Jesus says. And Jesus called a little child on him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I, I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children. Listen here. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I, if you fell asleep on me so far, just, just hear this portion. The Bible says in our, our adult state, we're jaded. We've got experiences. You come in here. We all come in here with baggage. But the Bible says that you cannot enter into heaven unless you become as a child. So I, I'm, I'm about to almost just to dismiss us, and we can go downstairs and see what the children are doing. Because there's something, we, and we laugh, and, and true, it's true. But there's something that's going on downstairs. There's an attribute about those children that we need to get a hold of 
and that will be your ticket into heaven. We're going to pray shortly here, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to, I want to give you a bit of disclaimer this, this afternoon. There's a phrase that says familiarity breeds contempt. And what that simply means is that things or accounts or, or aspects or people that you are very much familiar with, things that you've heard more than once, there's the ability that we begin to lose reverence for them. There's a contempt factor. And so what the, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily disrespectful, but what we do is we lose the awe. We lose the reverence. We lose that intrigue. We, we lose that ability to approach something with a, a fresh mind, an open heart, an open mindset. We lose it. That's the contempt. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I'm, we're going to take a look at a passage. I, I have no doubt that many of you, if you're church or if you're not church, you've heard the account of David and Goliath before. I have no doubt about that. But what I'm asking you to do this afternoon is we're going to have to approach this text with a, a fresh mindset, a fresh perspective. Because one of the attributes of children in, in, the, in, the young, in their innocent ages, I don't know, if you have children, you, you'll get this. But children at those early stages, they maintain a fresh mindset no matter how many times you read them the story, right? You read them the story a thousand times, and yet every single time they'll sit on the edge of their seat, and they still wait. They still wait. Daddy, read it again. Daddy, again. Daddy, daddy, again. Daddy, daddy, again. Read it again. And they they listen to the story with anticipation as if you've never read it before. Robin and I had to get to a point where we saw hiding books. We didn't want them to get to them. Okay. But that, that's a child. No matter how many times they've heard the story, they still approach it with an eagerness and an awe. And hear me now this afternoon, because I'm speaking to somebody. You've got a story. You've got a story. And the power in your story is when your story intercepts the message of the gospel. That's called your testimony. And some of you in here have to get to a point where you realize that, you know, whoo, I can tell my testimony all of the time. How he saved me, how he raised me, how he took me out of that pit that I was in. I never get tired of telling and hearing that story. Okay. That's that childlike attribute that you have to have where your testimony never gets tired. It never gets old. The Bible says they overcame by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's how you're going to overcome. This afternoon, we're going to take a look at 1 Samuel. And what I want you to do is, is we're going to narrow in on the attributes of a child. And how those attributes are key for your victory in the battles that you face but even more importantly, for you making it into heaven. And for a little while, we'll tell us the message. Children of the valley. Children of the valley. I'll have you pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time period. Lord, we, th- we thank you for the worship that's been put before. Preacher, God, that the, this man, this flesh, God, anoint me with the power, the, the clarity, Lord, to deliver this word to your, your people, your congregation that have come here, God. And I, I pray that every heart, every mind is open, Lord, to receive what you have for us, Lord, that we would leave better than how we can, God, restored and refreshed and renewed in you. In Jesus, in your precious and mighty name, you may be seated.
Our opening text is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 17, and this is one of the most widely known accounts in the Old Testament. Whether you're church or not church, it's the account of David and Goliath. And 1 Samuel chapter 17 begins like this. It's not, it's not the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And they were gathered at Sokoth, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Shokoth and Azekah and Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were pitched together and pitched, were, were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. So the, the, the account of David and Goliath begins by telling us, it tells us two things. It's going to tell you the what, and it's going to tell you the where. It's going to tell you what in the world is going on. And the what's going on is there is a battle. There's a fight. But it's also going to tell you the where. And the Bible's going to sp- spend a specific amount of time telling you where this is happening. Okay, the typography, the geography, where everybody is situated. And if you put up that map for me. The Bible is going to tell us in the opening chapter of chapter 17 is that the Philistines, okay, have invaded the territory of the children of God, okay? And they've invaded into this area I have circled right here called Sukkoth. Sukkoth is about 10 to 15 miles from Bethlehem. If you remember correctly, Bethlehem is where David was from. That, that is his stomping grounds. That's where he was born, Okay. The battle takes place 10 to 15 miles approximately from where he is. This is where the battle takes place. And so I want to begin to bring this to you this afternoon and shift gears. Okay, remember this. The enemy has invaded into the territory of the children of God. And let me begin to maybe, we're going to shift gears for a second here. Anybody have that happen to him? Where it seems like the enemy just walked in on you. Where he's invaded. He showed up on an ounce unexpected, uninvited. He showed up in your territory. He showed up in your marriage. He showed up at the workplace. He showed up at home. All of a sudden, your kids start acting out and you can't figure out why. You and your spouse are fighting for no particular reason and there's been no background to it. Kids start acting crazy. Folks at work start acting differently. You had a moment where you had where you had a connection with them at work, and the next day they don't even want to talk to you. Now I know sometimes we can spiritualize some of this stuff, you know. Car breakdown, and we want to blame on the devil. Stop that, sis. Ain't the devil. You just need to put gas in that car. You know what I'm saying? Get the oil changed. Sometimes we we get we I know our culture. We get to spiritualize some stuff. It ain't spiritual. You didn't invited that stuff in. But, but there are times in which everything seems to be happening at once. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where things seem to be piling on. And I've had to get to the point where I had to scratch my head and say, something isn't right here. The day you get laid off, that's when the furnace go out. It's been working all fine up into that time period. Where, where things seem to pile on in succession all at once. I, I, there's, a, there's a phrase I like to use, while they were yet speaking. 
Yeah, you know, you know that, that comes from the book of Job. Job 1.15, the Bible says that, that when, when God had released, released Satan to do his bidding on Job, it, it gives this, this succession of events that happens. And the Bible says that the first servant runs to give Job the bad news, and he says, Job, Job, your cattle have been stolen, and all your servants have died. And the Bible says while he was yet speaking. So he hadn't even finished telling Job what was going on. A second servant ran up behind him. Job has not even gotten to the point where he can digest or process anything, and a second servant ran up to him and says, Job, Job, your, your sheep, all the sheep have just been burned up. Okay. And there's so, those servants have been destroyed. While that servant was speaking, a third servant ran up. Now hear me now. Job hasn't even got over what the first servant said or what the second servant said. And now a third servant run up and he says, Job, all of your children are dead. An invasion. That's what the enemy would like to do to you. He wants to shell shock you. He wants to overwhelm you. He wants to flood you. You know, you, you ever feel like you just, been, you just need to go back to bed? You know, those days you say, I, I don't even know how I got this morning. <laughs> this, this day is not starting out how I, I, I even anticipated. Should I have even woke up? You know, when you get to that point, here's what David said. David said, Psalms 121, he says, I will lift up my eyes where? Unto the hills. From what? From, from whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. What David realized is, look, when you get to those moments and when you, you feel like you've just been about to wash out the place, lift your head up. Don't, 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 don't put it down like this, but lift your head up. David realized that, look, there are situations and circumstances that you have going on where you can't look internal, you can't look external. You got to look to eternal. You got to look to the one that made it all. You got to look to the one that made the heaven and earth. You've got to, you got to pull from something else. So I, I, I'm in corporate America and sometimes, you know what happens? We bring in consultants and they don't know what they're doing. I looked at my co-workers sometimes. I said, we could have done this. And they paying this consultant $300 an hour for this? We could have messed this up. And we on the payroll. Job or, or David says, look, there's situations and I, I can't look at anybody around me to help this. I've got to look to the maker of heaven and earth. I will lift up my eyes until the hills. So when the enemy comes in like a flood and is trying to overwhelm you, is trying to push you out, you've got to get to the point in time, child of God, where you begin to lift up your eyes. That's where your help is coming from. We're going to shift back to the opening text. And here's what I'm going to do this afternoon. I want to highlight four points for you. So you can count down as we get to these four. Okay. I'm going to highlight four points for you that I want you to take away. And here's the opening scene that I'm going to set, I'm going to set this up for a visual. But the Bible says that, that the Israelites were encamped by this valley, the Valley of Elah. And scripture tells us that they were encamped on one hill and the Philistines were encamped into another hill. Bible also says that there was a valley, a valley called the Valley of Elah. Okay that went between these two armies. And what would happen is that the Philistines would send their champion, a giant by the name of Goliath, to stand in the valley. And he would stand in the valley, and for 40 days and for 40 nights, he would mock and he would taunt the children of God. 40 days and 40 nights, he would sit there and he would taunt 
God's children. Now, understand this figuratively and literally and spiritually, but when we talk about the valleys in your life, we're talking about those low periods, those periods that are down and out, those periods where you don't feel like you got anything together, the periods where you feel like, what am I doing here? The periods that say, why am I even holding this microphone right now? Those periods where you say, I don't even know how I've got myself together, those valleys. But here's what will happen. Hear me now, child of God. What oftentimes happens is your giants will speak to you the loudest in your valleys. The times in which you hear the critics the loudest and the sharpest will be when you are in your valleys. But oftentimes, here's what we do, and I'm going to get to my first point very, very quickly here. Okay. We do not understand the difference between the giants in the valleys, because what the valleys are is all, what God is trying to do is God uses the valleys in your life to bring you to a point where you will confront your giants. But too oftentimes what we do is we do not differentiate between what's really a valley and what's really a giant. Okay. Here's a point I'm going to bring to you this afternoon. The valley is not the problem. Your valleys are not the problem. The valley is the place that God is bringing you to to confront some things face to face in your life. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Give me a second here. Child of God, not every diagnosis is a giant. Sometimes a diagnosis is not a giant. Sometimes the diagnosis is a valley. It's a valley to get you to face the fact that you have not taken care of your temple. And that you've been using drugs, you've been using alcohol, you've been using cigarettes, you've been using food as a coping mechanism to address all of your problems instead of turning to Jesus for your hope, your strength, your glory, your joy. Sometimes the diagnosis is not a, it's, it's, it's not the giant. It's a valley that God has put you in to realize that you've been using something else to cover up for not turning to him. Hear me now. The rehabilitation center is not the giant. The prison is not the giant. Probation isn't the giant. You may look at those places as holding you back. It's not allowing you to advance. It's just keeping you down. Those valleys are simply there to get you to understand that there's a facet of your life that is spinning out of control. And unless, unless you develop an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, you are headed for a path of destruction. The people in your life are not the giants. Your coworker is not the giant. Your boss is not the giant. Your family members are not the giant. Your neighbors are not the giant. But sometimes here's what will happen is the friction in those relationships and the fractures that we have will begin to force you to start taking a look where what's really is broken is not the relationship, but I'm really the person that's broken. I'm really the person that's wounded. I'm really the person that's in deep need of a healing touch. Hear me now this afternoon. If you're in an illicit relationship, if you're in promiscuity, if you're in anything that's not God-fearing, the breakdown in those relationships is simply a valley where God will bring you to to bring you a point where he wants to speak to you. You've got to differentiate between what God is taking you through and what he's taking you to. And if anyone is here is in a valley period, ask yourself, what is God trying to get me to face? What is God trying to get me to face? 
Second point I'm going to highlight. We have a problem with possession. We have a problem with possession. Joshua chapter 17, verse 14 through 16 says this. It says, And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me here too? One of the things about children is they have the unique ability to, to understand what is mine, don't they? They understand what is mine. And, and, you know, if you, if you can observe children, you observe them, and what they will do is that if something is theirs and it is in the possession of somebody else, they won't ask any questions. They won't cause a fuss. And I've seen fights break out like this. They will just walk over and take it out of your hand and walk away. That's what they do because it's theirs. And then once the fight breaks out, they, they, that's when it starts. But they, they, they know what's theirs, okay? Children have the unique ability to understand what is mine. And in Joshua chapter 17, I'm going to give you some context of this verse. The Bible says that, that this is a thousand years prior to the account of David and Goliath. It says that the Philistines, that, excuse me, the Israelites had marched into the promised land. And then marched into the promised land, and as they had conquered all the land, they had begun to divvy it up. They gave the allotments to each and every tribe. And the Bible says that the tribe of, of both Ephraim and Manasseh came to Joshua and they said, we got a lot of people. And you didn't give us a lot of land. To which Joshua responds in verse 15, he says this. He says, if thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites, hear me now, and of the giants. If Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. In other words, since you have a lot of people, okay, go up into the wood country and go into the land of the giants and go possess it. Take it. Conquer it. Child of God, one of the biggest issues that we have within the church today is that we want things to happen spiritually, but we do not want to engage in the disciplines necessary to see them come about. We don't want to put any fight in it. We don't want to put any work in it. We don't want to put any effort in it. We want to know God, but we don't want to spend any time reading the Bible. We want to know God, but we don't want to spend any consistent time in prayer. We want revival. We want church that's on fire. We want a church that's alive. We want a church that's popping. But we don't want to open our mouth and tell anybody about Jesus. We don't want to do a Bible study with anybody. We don't want to compel them to come in. We don't want to speak up in the classroom. We don't want to speak up on our job. Okay, And that's what Jesus, Jesus said. He says, the harvest is plenty, but the lab- labors are few. I got nobody to work it, nobody to conquer it, nobody to possess it, nobody to go out and put the effort in. We want it all handed to us. We want a godly family, but we don't want to put in the work. We want our children to be, to, to be raised in this church, but we don't want to bring them to church. We're in a first world country. We got Bibles in the classrooms. We got Bibles in the pews. We got Bibles in your cars. And yet we're biblically illiterate. We have a possession problem. And the reason why some of us feel stuck in a rut and why God is screaming to you, I've given you the land. I've given you life. I've blessed you with resources. I've given you everything you need. Take it. Possess it. Hear me now. Hear me now. 
God will do what you and I cannot do. God will not do what he's already told you to do. He's not going to do that. He's already told you to do it. One of the problems throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, you can read this, is the Israelites had this problem and they never really drove out these giants. They never really drove them out. And it starts back in Genesis 6. And if you can understand the context, the full context of Genesis 6, the entirety of the Old Testament is going to be revolving around the fact that these things never, they never really got rid of them. And that's why in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you see these, you go from 1 Samuel chapter 17 to Joshua chapter 17, you still see the remnant of these giants still popping up. And here's what I want to bring to somebody in here this afternoon, because there's some of you in here that are facing giants that are not your own. Some of the giants, some of you are facing your giants that were part of your parents, your grandparents, two to three generations back, and they never defeated and they're still showing up at your doorsteps. Childhood wounds, parental dysfunction, alcoholism, church hurt, mom or daddy got hurt in the church, and they said a couple things about the church. And it skewed your perspective to this day. And you show up and you're looking at everybody sideways. You barely got in here, but you're standing by the door. Waiting for somebody to insult you so you take a step out. Giants. From previous generations. And what I'm trying to get somebody to do is to understand if you do not face them for yourself... Look at your children. Look at the children in your arms. Look at your nieces. Look at your nephews. Look at your grandchildren. And realize you and I have to begin to face these things, not just for our own selves, but for the next generation. First Samuel chapter 17, a child, a boy named David, walks into a military camp. And he unequivocally knows that he, he knows the God he serves. He knows it is the army of the most high God. And he knows what they possess. But he walks into this military camp, and these grown men are standing around in fear and anxiety. Men that had a problem with possession. And David walks in with a different speech, a different mindset. And notice what happens with his different speech and his different mindset. David walks in here in, in a camp of fear, but, but David walks in here. What in the world is going on? Do you not know what God that you serve? Somebody go down there and shut that giant up. Y'all going to sit there and let him talk to you like that? David begins to walk in here with a different mindset. And what ends up happening is that when you come into a culture that's, that's steeped in fear and anxiety, and you begin to speak life, and you begin to speak, speak things of promise. That naturally leads to all of a sudden, th that chatter that David has brings him before Saul. And what Saul then does is Saul quickly realizes that this child has something. And he begins to arm David with his own armor. And this one's for free. Never put on someone else's armor who's not willing to face their own giant. Don't ever put on somebody else's armor that's not willing to face their own giant. And David is about to walk into the valley with King Saul's armor. And here's the third point I want to bring to you this afternoon. Is that some of you are heading into valleys, but you're wearing the wrong king's armor. Some of you are in your valley periods right now, but you're wearing the wrong king's armor. 
Pastor Chris preached this two weeks ago, but he talked about arming yourself in humility. But the other attribute that we need to arm ourselves also in is transparency. And some of us in here, one of the attributes of children, understand children, you know what? Is they're painfully honest. They tell you some truths, won't they? And they tell you them truths at some inconvenient times. When some folks around us, you, you, you didn't open and say that. <laughs> Mommy, you didn't clean the entire place. Shut up, boy. <laughs> Is that the chicken you left out last night? They'll tell you this stuff. They're painfully honest. One of the, ad, one of the things that we have to start doing, and I'm going to tell you this is in order to face your giants, you're going to have to become honest with yourself. We have to have some real talks, some real conversations, where, where there, there's, there's transparency. There's no propping up. There's, there's no, you know what we do is we put on armor before we go in our conversations. We, before we engage with folks, adults know how to do this. We get psyched up. We understand what we're going to say before we say it. We understand what we don't say. I don't want to say this because they don't think this. I don't want to say that because it may lead to this. We understand this stuff of how we engage into this stuff. But David doesn't wear any armor. He simply goes into that valley in full transparency. You know, the first, the first weapon in the, 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 the armor of God is actually the belt of truth. It's actually the belt of truth. Truth. That's all I care about. What's true? Because if it's not true, we might as well pack it up. If it's not truth, if there's no transparency, if there's no honesty, if there's no authentic discussions, then we're wasting our time here. Jesus says this. He says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples and you will know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. The reason we don't have freedom to actually face some of the things we need to face because we lie to ourselves. Jesus told Pilate, he says, to this end came I into the world for this cause. For this end was I born and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness of to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Two things that children are is they're transparent and they exhibit a sense of. Two things that the children are is they are transparent, and they walk in humility. We're going to have to, in order to engage your giants, engage in those. Fourth thing. Where are you getting your stones? Where are you getting your stones? Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, it says, And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, the Bible says this word called smooth, and I want you to understand this is very, very important because I, I used to make this mistake. But sometimes scripture will tell words, and, and, and I don't know about you, but there's a tendency sometimes that we look at the words in Scripture, and sometimes I wonder, why did you put that there? Did, did that do anything to the sentence grammatically? Did it provide any type of umph? Did, did, it, if the Bible says is men and women, why couldn't it just say people? But understand that Scripture is not like human beings. Sometimes we over-communicate. 
We overtalk. We get too wordy with things, don't we? I remember when I was in college, I used to write papers, and it was this great tutor, she was, she was real good. She's very nice. But I would write these papers, and what she would do is she would oftentimes take the papers, and she would mark them things up. And she would cross out a bunch of what I said and said, you know, there's a way to say this in condensive. We can, we can make this more concise. We can still articulate your points, but we need to just kind of, we need to make it, make it more shorter. And she would say that because I'd use too many words to articulate something. Now, what she didn't understand is I need to get to a five-page paper, and lady, you stopping the plan by cutting this down. I, I'm stretching out this sentence because I need to go further. I didn't have the heart to tell her that, Okay. Uh, you know, this basically, the requirements are five pages. I'm trying to drag this thing out, sister. Okay, you stop the player. But, but the Bible does not do that at all. The Bible doesn't do that. Every dot, every tittle that the Bible has, it's in there for a reason. And the Bible tells us that David went down to the, the, the valley of Elah, and he picks up these smooth stones. Now, I took a look at this, and... If you get a chance to go over to Israel, God willing, you will, eventually, you will, okay? If you go into the Valley of Elah, researchers and archaeologists have gone down there. If you put that picture for me. And they found that the stones in this particular valley have two specific attributes. One is they're extremely dense, okay? Anybody here throw rocks? I used to throwing rocks and stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Okay. And you know, there's certain rocks you pick up, and they just go like this. You throw them, and they 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 they, they just go with the wind. But then you get them rocks that are dense. You know what I mean? Them rocks that we get hit, they hurt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they carry a punch with them. So they found that the 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 stones in the Valley of Elah were different than other stones in other places because these had a different density with them. But they also found is that since they were smooth from the brook, is that there was less friction. Okay, and less wind resistance. And what a lot of the archaeologists figured out when they began looking into this, they found out when they tied that in with the biblical slingers, because in, in biblical times they, they, they had men in the army that were slingers. They found and did the research that these slingers could sling these 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 rocks at the equivalent of almost up to two hundred miles per hour. Two hundred miles per hour, and they could hit a target sometimes hundreds of yards away. What they also f- found out is they begin to take a look at this and they, and they, and, and to put this in, in our equivalent, if you understand this principle, when David went into the valley to face Goliath, it was the equivalent of him walking in there with 45 caliber. Goliath never stood a chance. Get hit by a rock at 200 miles per hour. Here's the point that I'm trying to bring you to this afternoon is that some of the valleys that you're going through, there are some stones you can only get in the valley that you can't get in the hills. There's some perspectives. There's some mindsets. There's some insights. There's some revelations that you can only get by going through your valleys that you will not get by being in the hills. And so I'm trying to articulate to somebody in this here this afternoon that those valley periods that you're going through in your life, God is using those, but you need to start taking a look around and see what are the stones that he's, he's providing for me to defeat the giants. Let's stand. We're going to open up this altar this afternoon.
And I'm going to close this. Some of you in here, you're going through some difficult times. And I'm going to tell you that God has not left you. He's not abandoned you. He's right beside you. But I'm going to tell you this. He's bringing you through some things to face some things. He's bringing you through something to face something. If you're in here for the first time and you're hearing this, this, this message, the first thing that you and I have to do is we have to get to a point of truth. We have to get to the point that we, we, we put our hand up and say, I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. I'm a filthy sinner. I'm talking to this guy right here holding the microphone. And, and, and when I come to that point where, where I say I, I am a sinner, I get to the point also where I, I realize that, you know what, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And there's only one that died for you, that shed his blood for you, that was spit on for you, that was beaten for you, that had you in mind on Calvary. When they mocked him, when he could have got off that cross, he didn't. In one word, he could have had a legion of angels come down and blow up the place. But he, but he had you in mind, Tyrone. He, he had me in mind. He had Nick. He, he had you in mind. As he watched all of his friends that he had poured himself into for three and a half years, all of the people that he had loved, that he had given everything to, they all left him at his moment of need. But he had you and I in mind. If you've, if you've never accepted him as a savior, I invite you to come. If you've never experienced what his love is, come. If right now you're, you're, you're in a valley and you say, I, I, I don't feel him there. If you've gotten to the point where we say waymaker, but he says, I, I don't feel that I've got a way out. Come. If you're facing something that seems so insurmountable, something undeniable, Something that you say, I don't have the resources, I don't have the skill sets, I don't have the charisma. Come. At some point, child of God, we've got to realize it's you're not just a child of the hills, but you're also a child of the valleys. Because your God is a God of the hills, and he is a God of the valleys. This altar's open.